has anyone had a close encounter with rabies? Um, <laughs> you told me to ask the question. Potentially, I know, but then I'm like, I kind of dug myself in a hole now because now I have to say it publicly. You dug yourself a hole. I. It's not that I had a close encounter with rabies. It was that me and another childhood friend who will remain nameless. She can out herself later if she chooses. We were trying to see Sup, some girl. cute boys. And we went down our street. When you were children. We were, ch- yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so sorry I did not set the scene there. <laughs> we were like 12 or 11, um, you know, bored on a summer's day. Got word that a certain young man was at another certain young man's house. The vicar's house. The vicar. <laughs> Straight up crushes are so intense. I'm sorry. Dude. And it was everything to you at that time. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just need to see the person. The pining. If I can just, you know, I'll put on my Maybe cute shirt. Maybe he'll like me if yeah. I stub my toe on his skateboard. Some, anything. Anything at that time was basically a full relationship. Anyway, <laughs> for me at least. Let's type walk four. down to the beach. And when we got down there, this one kid had his dog outside. And I think, you know, I do remember that we were literally running. So the dog got overexcited and the dog nipped at me. So it was your fault. 100%. Love that. 100%. Um... And it was a whole thing. It was super painful because it got me on my, like, the side of my lower back. Oh. So just, like, a really sensitive part of my body. I was super freaked out. But I remember going home and my mom was like, mm, we're going to call this kid's parents and see if this dog has had a rabies shot. And on then the just, you know, double check. All on the landline. It was, you know, 2001 or two. Mm-hmm. I don't even think we had introduced the full area codes yet. I don't remember when that went down. Yeah. It was like 2000, I don't remember, who the hell knows. If you know, DM us. Um, But yeah, it it was the closest I encountered. And so luckily the dog had been... With uh, rabies. No, (laughs) fortunately no. (laughs) I I walked into that one. Uh, The dog's shots were all updated, so we didn't feel the need to... Did he drink tequila or whiskey? I'm so sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I can't tell if it's the day I've I'm had. I'm sorry. <laughs> I looked at you like, am I supposed to? Get I know. Like, I was like, I wanted to stab myself. <laughs> so I hate that when you say you're something, welcome you're like, for your mm. the self hatred has been done. DM us about it. I'm just Shut kidding. the hell up! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> you just told our listeners to DM you about area codes. <laughs> You know what? Okay. Can you really catch Wait, really right quick, now? Really quick. Some history on that. See? <laughs> I don't know why I have a podcast. Who put a microphone in my face? Really? so well. <laughs> I'm crying. When we, when I, when I got to Alyssa's house, we were sitting on her deck and I, we were talking about another childhood friend and Alyssa's how he. crying <laughs> I'm going to just do what I always do, which is just blast through. <laughs> no, you always do. We were talking about a childhood friend who has a career that's very specified. And I, I said to Alyssa that I love that. I love when someone has like a super niche degree or a super niche area of knowledge or career, et cetera. Um, I find that very, very interesting. And so I'm thinking to myself, there is someone out there who knows all about that. So, hey, if that's you. I want to know. On that note, hi, we're the Charlatans. My name is Madeline. I'm Elise. And I'm Alyssa. 
And evidently this is a troll fest. We are in a mood. We are. We have spoken nothing but rants for the last hour and a half off. I almost said off camera. Exactly. It feels like we're on camera because that's how hot we are right now. Like we just can't. We feel a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And we thought it would be appropriate to talk about our insecurities. (laughs) Quick. For they are many. For they (laughs) are many. Also, also with wick. you. Also, also oh, wick. Wick. sorry. <laughs> uh, we were inspired today because we found a graphic by who, Elise? You want to bring it up? Yeah, they're another podcast called The Imposters Club. They're on Hi. Instagram at The Imposters Club. I feel like we're Instagram buddies because we like ourselves stuff. We do. And we, I don't think we follow each other, but we definitely we follow, follow their content. Other. Oh, yeah. I don't know that they follow I us I don't know back. if they follow us, but hey, we like right. you a lot. We do. They have really good in- Instagram content um, because they really do a fantastic job of breaking down the different ways that imposter syndrome reveals itself they in your life. They break it down in a way that we should, but don't. I know. Let's be honest. We have, we have guilt about that. And sometimes what's really, really, no, I, you do. I do. Um, well, What's really interesting, though, is that I didn't find their content until like a month ago, but you've been following it mm-hmm. for a long, long time. Right? I found them right when we started our Instagram. Oh, cool. Because I think Instagram was like, you have similar topics. Maybe so obviously like- non-spawn by 100%. But hi, we really love your Instagram content and we were inspired by it. Mm-hmm. So Alyssa sent us this graphic that listed the five imposter types. Now, the, the wonderful ladies at... The, the imposters club did not come up with these five types, but they're sharing the content mm-hmm. from a psychologist. So Dr. Valerie Young is the person that originated the five different types of imposter syndrome back in 1982. So this kick-ass doctor has been researching imposter syndrome, owns imposter syndrome.com. Um, hello. So she was on top of it, but most recently published a book in 2011 called the secret thoughts of successful women, why capable people suffer from the imposter syndrome and how to thrive in spite of it. But she came up with these five types with a flow chart, used them in her studies, has referenced it in her courses. She's been in the game a long time. Um, and now with the emergence of her book, it's being picked up by more, um, not like secular, a, just more mainstream audience, mainstream audiences rather than an academic audience. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's now popping up in news articles and obviously it, it made its way to this Instagram graphic. Um, and we thought they were really well done and, and intriguing. And we instantly related and said, this is our next topic. Mm-hmm. So the five types are the perfectionist who sets impossibly high expectations for themselves. The expert who needs to know everything before starting the natural genius who is used to skills coming easily and panics when they don't. The soloist who believes asking for help means they failed. And lastly, the superwoman who's in competition, superwoman, sorry, who's in competition with everyone around them at all times. And Dr. Valerie Young did mention, you know, in her type, Superman, superwoman. Sure. So it's not completely woman centric, but this book was written for women. Mm-hmm. And the imposter club that we are quoting this graphic from is a female hosted podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Alyssa, why don't you start with your types? Um, so I identified with two types. Um, we were talking about before we started recording that we think it's interesting. We've done an episode on the Enneagram and we've talked about like creative types and stuff and how you kind of identify with one. But in this list, I we all feel like we identify with 
at least two, if mm-hmm. not more. Um, and I also said that with these five types, I feel very fluid that in certain moments I can feel like I need, I am the other type and struggle with that. But the two that were the strongest and like hit home immediately was the perfectionist, which sets impossibly high expectations for themselves. And then the superwoman who is in competition with everyone around them at all times. So in other episodes, I know I've talked about this a lot, um, the setting impossibly high expectations. I think that I think the two combine together, I guess, because I feel like I'm in competition and need to prove myself there comes those doubts and whatnot. And so you kind of like develop this, this perfectionist attitude too, because if you want to be in competition, you want to be the best, but it really does come from an inner base of feeling like you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if I feel like I'm not doing something well, I see myself as like competition and like failing against others who I would see as my peers in that same realm. Yeah. Um, and the realms are all different. So like I was even thinking, um, I can feel that way. Perfectionist and superwoman, like superwoman hits really hard when it comes to being a mom. Cause you see the moms all around you. Am I doing this right? That's the first thing I thought of too, when I saw it, I was like, so moms. Yeah. I mean, it just, <laughs> you know, um, the perfectionist I see in like a lot of different areas, but there was also, um, like the natural genius, which I just don't even like the title of that one i yeah. feel like that can be edited a little bit for modern i, I just feel like twist i don't like the word choice there. i like the natural like the natural yeah feels. i like the natural mm-hmm. but i think throwing that genius in kind of makes you sound a little snubby yeah but it's like well i don't associate myself mastery. with a genius so i'm yeah. not gonna pick that it's one it's not mastery but just learning fast enough to make it right or something that, like i think everyone's naturally good at certain things and i do think when it, it, it becomes a challenge like but seeing natural genius, I feel kind of pompous saying like naturally, right. I understand teaching. Now that doesn't mean I can't like continually be learning how to be a better teacher. But like I do see that I get into the groove and understand the world a little bit better sometimes than other people in that career path. Some things come more natural. So when things become a struggle or they aren't coming out the way I anticipated, that really gets my imposter syndrome. But I don't feel quite the need for perfectionism or superwoman in that realm because I feel like I just kind of naturally get it. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to being like a mom or a wife or housekeeping or trying to be a friend, like there's a lot of like superwoman comparison. Like with friends, it feels sometimes it's like, well, I'm not a good enough friend. I'm in competition because that person is so good to me. Mm-hmm. I need to be even better for them, which mm-hmm. when you say that loud sounds crazy, but it's like what's in your head yeah. going through it. And I, it's interesting you define all of that that way, because when I heard the superwoman and for some reason I tied that and competition with sabotage and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like intentionally sabotage people, but I like how you define that of like, it's not necessarily an active competition against anyone, but it's like, I don't measure up, which makes much more sense, mm-hmm. in, especially in the context of motherhood. Instinctively, I knew that I was a perfectionist, but I'm also seeing like the expert come out and the other one that I immediately identified was the soloist. Um, for me, I, I don't know how to define this necessarily, but the perfectionist is kind of how I approach every project, every duty, or just anything in life that I have to tackle or do. Um, but then the way that I execute that is with soloism and this like expert mentality. 
I gather as much information as possible, which can sometimes be a good thing, but then it's like it causes inaction because you're just so like preparing to do the thing that you never do the thing. I relate to that so well. And that's definitely expert-ish. And then the soloist comes out because I get into this like deep ingrained like process mode of I just got to blast through and get it done. And then I'm stressed and then I'm worried. And then I'm definitely not reaching out because I'm like, well, that's that point has it's passed. It's too far gone to ask for help because then they're like, well, what have you been doing this whole time? Um, and I don't know the, the expert, the expert is a difficult one because I don't know. And Again, you, Alyssa, brought up a good point of seeing certain aspects in various aspects of your life. And for some reason, I immediately went to my career only mm-hmm. in defining this because that is an area that I have a particular sense of and imposter it's very, syndrome. It's very, it's, I would say it's easier to pick it out when you're suffering from it right. because it's right there in your face and your performance yeah. is very important. Right. And I already have deep-seated preconceived notions about my own ability in that area of my life. Whereas with motherhood, I experience far less insecurities that cause, that just cause me dysfunction, if that makes sense. Like I have issues in that area. It's by no means perfect, but I'm not like, I definitely don't feel like I'm in competition with other mothers so much, but it's, I mean, at the same time, it is something you're like vaguely aware of, of like, oh, that person seems to have it all together, but it doesn't, it doesn't, ever become part of how I parent um so yeah those are mine can I throw in I want to go back to that word choice too because I would almost I don't like that word competition I think I almost wish it was comparison instead because I don't feel like I'm trying to beat people sure but I just want to make mark I just want to like know that I if I see this mom and I think this mom is really doing it I want to know I'm living up to her expectations for my kids yeah yeah Mm Um, and it's interesting with the soloist because what you were saying, because I like to work solo too. I prefer it. I have like my own method and ways I like to do things, but I don't feel the imposter syndrome in that method either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that, so yes. it's interesting how you can identify these things, but you might not be feeling imposter yeah. syndrome with that identification. Cause I think the difference there is, I think we can all have examples of where we've experienced every single one of those types. But I think where it becomes actual active imposter syndrome is when it's affecting your work or affecting your ability to Mm -hmm. approach a problem, et cetera. And so for me, that's kind of where I was trying to like, where do I see issues here? You know, with myself. I like that. uh, We're being critical on, uh, on the use of language here, because I think that the use of language is really important and that the core descriptions of these, I think are very accurate. But it reminds me, too, with Enneagram or any other personality test that it may not always fit exactly. We're using words to best categorize in order to best kind of align ourselves with. Yeah, and reconfigure thought processes. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to adjust it and be critical of what's in front of you and not be like, oh, that's what I am. Mm -hmm. I feel like you should never do that anyway. Right. But it's hard not to, because you just want answers about yourself. Well, sometimes it's a nice stepping stone. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've read this sentence like with this, I had never seen these five types before. So when I saw this image, I was like, wow, this makes like so much sense. Mm -hmm. And it was like the Enneagram where I don't like identify with everything of a type one, having a baseline 
to identify and feel seen and understood Absolutely. was nice. So that's mm-hmm. yeah. And because humans are so dynamic and we change through time. Mm-hmm. Um, some people would agree. Some people would disagree, but um, it, it's just really important not to, Ingrained. And that's why I like here, it's not like you have one type of imposter syndrome, how to address it. It's more like but when you encounter this type, you might have more inclination to experience this type or that type. And that's more healthy in approaching when we feel our insecurities rising and how we act on them. I do want to read her book, though, because oh, absolutely. I do want to see where she takes this information. Well, now Actually, what do we do with it? that would be a great book club pick, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, would. Lots hey, of discussion. Dr. Valerie Young, shout out. Amazing. I, I feel like a book I read earlier this year attempted to do that, but then really just didn't hold up in execution. Do It Afraid, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning was fantastic, where you kind of identify certain areas of your life where you like experience fear and what your fear type is. But then it's a lot of focus don't really on fear. do anything with that information. I, I feel like a lot of self-help books, too, are Cosmo-ish, where they're like, sensational, get it, girl. Like... And once you accomplish this, or it's more like scolding, like, you know, you're doing this. That's why you picked up this book. Let's pick up your dumb ass and get going. Like, I just don't understand that language. And what I like and what I I mean, we haven't read the book yet, but my impression of this book and we will chime in later because evidently we're all going to read it. Um, My impression of this work, and especially as someone who is research based, that it's meant to inform and then put in usable vernacular. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that approach. And that's how I feel like the categorization is. That's why there's a flow chart to it. That's why, you know, it, it's good to have that morph through language over time. Because if these were originally created in 82, and I don't know if they've been revised yet, um, I, I would be interested to see if they were revised further in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's a, another good spot for the <laughs> mm-hmm. for the book. But I think it's important to discuss where the term imposter syndrome comes from because if that's what our podcast is about in in a deep down sense though we cover other topics a lot of what f- causes our function or dysfunction is i feel like imposter syndrome mm-hmm. you know when i see in our friends and that's what inspired us to do this so right um i'm excited to read that book i'm too so what type ain't you ate madeline oh girl um Yikes. So welcome to You're like my all inner five. thoughts. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, gonna get vulnerable, kind of terrified about it, but um I, I this has me thinking a lot about self esteem and how I never feel like self esteem issues really covers my mental thought processes. Oftentimes I would say it's self hatred in a very strong sense. And so when I read the perfectionist, I'm like that's the self-hatred. It's not like, oh, I'm just struggling with that. No, I struggle with self-hate. Mm. Not any sort of like, oh, I'm having a bad day. I'm having a fluctuation in my body. I've always, no matter what size I was, and very real, what you think of as perfectionistic, we, we attribute to body image, right? No matter what body size I was, no matter what school I was in, what age I was, I've struggled with self-hatred because I've had perfectionistic tendencies, right? I'm an anxious person. Um, and how I, I, I'm very realistic with the fact that perfect doesn't exist, but for some reason I strive to be flawless mm-hmm. and I, it's so weird cause I understand that flawlessness does not exist. It's not even worth striving for. It's just trying to find your arbitrary best, right? 
Um, but I really related to perfectionism um, in so many different areas of my life, not just work, not just um, family or being a wife, just any little thing I do, things I do for myself, I criticize. Um, how can you be an imposter of yourself? Mm-hmm. It's getting real meta and bizarre. Um, so definitely associate with that. And then the expert, which at least you mentioned a little bit, but um, I'm really glad it was clearly spoken out here. And I very much agree with how it's written in the sense that it's always been my problem of I would write full essays in high school and never turn it in and delete the whole thing and turn in a hour written paper in so that I could say I got a bad grade because I wrote it in an hour rather than I put my heart and soul into this researched the hell out of it, put in my best and still didn't get a good grade. I'd rather blame it on writing it in an hour. Mm-hmm. And I still have that particularly in work. I associate with that, that with work a lot where uh, working in libraries, it's good to know that you're not an expert, but you're an expert in finding experts and I caught myself in that rut a little bit, but now I'm at the age where I could be considered an expert on something. And I mean, it's good to be humble and be like, you, you know, I'm always learning, but that doesn't mean you're not an expert. Right. We call it experts experts because they know a lot of shit. It doesn't mean they know everything, <laughs> but I internalize that perfectionism where I don't know enough to call myself an expert. Like, why do I constantly have people? I've had three people contact me today with makeup related questions. And I'm like, I'm not a makeup expert. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> but it, and like even saying that out loud into a microphone, I'm like, you shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to call you out on it and say you were wrong about something. Yeah. I have found myself doing that recently with, with like my most recent foray into my work. Of like when I hear myself talking about what I do, I'm rolling my own eyes because I don't even believe that I deserve to be there. Right. But she knows her shit. One of my favorite things, if I may, Elise, going back to being an expert and also a soloist, mm-hmm. I, Elise was bouncing ideas off because we used to work on graphics, like small library graphics together. And we just uh, admire each other's creative processes, if I may. Of course. If we shall. <laughs> um, and... She was new at her job and she goes, look, I just, I just don't know what to do with this. I'm like, ask someone. And she's like, I know I can't. I'm like, you're new at your job. They expect you to ask questions. She's like, no, I should just, I should just know. But I was hired to be here. So I should know everything. And I'm like, ask someone. They literally want you to ask. And she's like, okay, maybe. (laughs) And I was so, when you were talking about the soloist, I was like, uh. Because asking questions to me is a form of vulnerability and I don't like going there. Right. But if someone asked you a question, you'd be like, I oh. would be completely sensible. I would right. love to answer. Which is why right. you're a librarian. Yes. <laughs> so it's like uh, so interesting that we're talking about like I would never harsh someone's mellow if I if someone asked me a question if they said, hey, I'm struggling and I can't get it accomplished and I can't I'm not holding up with what I think a mom should be or what my research paper isn't good enough. I'm like, did you freaking write the thing? Did you do your best? Did you cite your sources? You're an expert. Like, you know, it's, I would never do that to someone else. And yet we do it to ourselves and we criticize our own imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's so ironic. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. Mm-hmm. Always know you're always learning, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know if this is something you guys can have experienced or can relate to probably, but 
Do you also find that as you get older and maturity I don't get older. is forced upon you? I don't get older. <laughs> nope. Do you find that when you don't address this type of, I don't want to keep calling it an issue, but like, okay, so I, I'm a soloist. This I don't sort of ask opportunity. questions. I hate oh, it when God, people switch no. issue and opportunity or problem and opportunity. The fact yeah. that I don't ask questions has really started to cause fun- dysfunction for me. And it's been something that I've had to really, really learn how to do in this new area of work that I'm in. And it's just been a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always feeling like I'm the only one who's like being forced out of any kind of shell. But I know that that's not true. Mm-mm. It's just because you feel vulnerable. You For, some, exactly. You have some spotlight effect yeah. going on, which is another psychological term where like oh. you, there was this one study done um, a long time ago, but it's my favorite example of it. So I'll just use this where there's people in a lecture hall and they had one subject go in wearing some weird sort of like, um, band shirt, some flamboyant band shirt. And they were really self-conscious about it. And they asked this person how many people in their lecture hall noticed it. And it was like, and then they, hold the people in the lecture hall, the, the students with them and compare the two answers. So you feel like, cause you're feeling it, it's way more intense and more people are going to notice the spotlights on you. It's so obvious. We're like, no one in lecture hall noticed. Mm-hmm. Like no one did. No that's, one could. Everybody's thinking about themselves. That's literally the story of my life. Yeah. It's <laughs> it, they're very specifically called the spotlight, spotlight effect, especially when someone like we think they're so brave, but really no one notices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, uh, both of you feeling like, the, okay, so talking about like the spotlight effect. Um, I feel like the perfectionism in the superwoman comes out in me because I want, and I'm not a center of attention person, but I want the spotlight on me. For someone who has followed your normal pace of life of what we were told to do as millennials, went to college, got married, had the kids, had the career. Check, 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 check. But you did all the checks. But because there was nothing else that people could see on the outside going on, the spotlight was never on you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it felt like people were more noticed because they were taking risk or doing things outside of the box or you did the major nobody thought would get you anywhere or, you know, you, would, you hey, know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I got to a podcast. Come on. No, I'm kidding. There you go. Um, because I I took the road I was told to take and I've enjoyed the road. That's not like a bad thing. It also felt like the spotlight was never on me and the accomplishments I did work hard for and did want for me were not as noticed because it's like, oh, Alyssa did what she's supposed to do. Alyssa did it. Alyssa did it. And it was. So the superwoman in perfectionism, I think, comes out because it's like if I raise the bar for myself just a little bit more, I'm going to get the attention from the people I want to notice me. And they'll see something I've done big instead of just being like, oh, yeah, we knew Alyssa would just go ahead and take care of it. Oh, we knew Alyssa would be fine. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so but then you keep raising the bar and raising the bar mm-hmm. and raising the bar. And the cost of your own mental health. If I turn in that essay and I wrote it in an hour, that bar doesn't raise. Right. And so that's what I'm finding interesting because I take your approach. Yep. I didn't I give too. a shit in high school. I would procrastinate the hell out of oh, my assignments. Yeah, if I didn't try, I still got high B's and A's. Fucking so no. why did I need to? <laughs> but like, you know, it, I just, I couldn't, like failure wasn't an option for me. 
But at the same time, I was so afraid of it that I was like self self fulfilling my own prophecies of oh, like oh oh throwing know. out these psych turns today. Dang, I'll take your word for it. Okay, um, but yeah, it was it. I I I think that. I don't know. Maybe people don't go one way or another. I obviously can't say that, but I think people do either keep pushing, pushing, pushing themselves or hiding, hiding, hiding. Yeah. Well, instead of seeing that we're all doing it for the exact same reason, because of that imposter syndrome inside. Yes, we have the same motivator, but it exhibits in different ways. So when I was thinking about like why this is in place, I I mean, I want to hear your guys' thoughts of why you think that like imposter syndrome is even a thing and that we, we engage in this, but to me, it all came down to our desire for recognition and belonging, you know, and how do we, how do we see ourselves worthy of those things or not? You know, cause you made, you brought up a really good point of like, ultimately our imposter syndrome is a reflection of how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you were very honest about being like, I struggle with self-hatred mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily think think that I hate myself but I do fundamentally believe that there's something wrong with me that like I would just never be as good as anyone else mm-hmm. I'll never have it as easy don't as ask that people. question it makes it worse yeah you know that I'm the problem and I have to fix it so that's why I'm a soloist and that's why I want to be an expert and that's why I want to be a perfectionist because ultimately I view myself as the ultimate project Ooh, girl are you gonna pay me for the therapy or are you gonna pay yourself this is good you know what's really interesting when Alyssa was explaining how she has a different viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I agree with your viewpoints, but I'm also like, yeah, but because I view a lot of things that you did as risky. Like, is it accepted risk? Like, oh, this is a risk that is worth it for me. If I had taken the risk that you had taken with going straight from school to school to school, having kids, doing this, getting married when you did, like. That to me was courageous and I couldn't do it Mm -hmm. and you were able to. So though it was a path that I think societally was very normal in our age bracket, it was expected as normal, but really truly at the same time was not. And I think you're also, I mean, we're different people, obviously (laughs) Enneagram episode, but (laughs) we, the way we process that information is so vastly different, but it makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. for you but it at least you you were talking about like where it comes from i mean i think that's really interesting if i'm thinking yeah. about for me i'm thinking about it's like weird to talk about like your childhood years because it's not that i feel like i had a bad childhood but there are things we were talking about this earlier too mm-hmm. we were really prepping for this episode guys it forms you yeah but it i think i i looked up to certain people in my life so much that those are the people I wanted the spotlight from. Mm-hmm. And when you get the, I'm proud of you or you did it. Good job. You like grasp onto it and it's almost addictive and you want it again mm-hmm. and again and again. And it's not like I was, these people I looked up to did anything horrible. They taught me that learning is forever and you need to make your own path and think for yourself. Like they taught you things you should be teaching the next generation. But the way I internalized them was like, I'm going to make sure I do this, but I want you to like, keep telling me I did it right. And I did it right. And I think when growing up, because I followed the path, neither of my brothers listened to this. My brothers didn't follow the societal path and they were a bit more chaotic and a bit more not attention seeking, but they got more attention. Sure. How's that? 
Mm-hmm. And I come from a big family with a lot of different cousins. And it was always this cousin's the doctor and this cousin's going to be an engineer. And That's the comparatives. It's, yeah. And that thing was like, it, it wasn't like a, Alyssa, can you believe your cousin's going to be a doctor? It was just more like, Aaron, you got a 4.0 in medical school. It's the influence of those around you. And just talking about it. So mm-hmm. when you internalize it and see these views of success and whatnot, you want someone to keep telling you you're being successful. Yeah. Um, thank you for seeing what you did, Madeline. But sometimes I also look back and I'm like, well, what if I had just taken a break? Sure. That's also your type of risk. Right. So it was just interesting, too, because a lot of things you guys were talking about was a lot more like internal and self-reflection. At least you were talking about like with your work, you feel more imposter syndrome where I feel like I've put so much of my own natural like like thought and process into my work that where I feel it less or like in my relationships Mm -hmm. and being a mom and being a friend and because I spent all my time being comfortable in work Mm. and putting my effort there through a lot of my 20s were the relationships kind of failed a little bit because of being scared and nervous about it. Mm -hmm. And I I am drawing some sort of, some sort of correlation, but it may not mean anything because correlation doesn't equal causation. Am I right, psych nerds? Um, (laughs) But I'm also wondering if it's because Elise and I are more in the arts because our work involves ourselves Mm -hmm. in a personal representation Mm -hmm. of ourselves than being judged for payment. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, which I, that's why I relate to you, but then I'm like, I, I struggled with, I, I don't want re- recognition. I'm okay not getting it, but I need to have it in order to advance in my career. Yes. And I get that my husband exactly. is artistic. So exactly. I get that a hundred percent. And we've already talked about like, basically all my friends are artistic. Mm-hmm. Right. So I get that. Um, and my work is still a piece of me, but it's not an art, like, it's not this. I don't know how to say it. It's not like not the same. It's artistic, but mm-hmm. not in like the same yeah. Yeah. way. There's a different way it's being, it's being, being wielded in life. The methodology is different. Mm-hmm. So I think that affects Well, and the, the societal thought output. about what you right. do too. Yeah. And the already placed judgment of yeah. that. Yeah. You're already coming in with it. With psychology, it's like, oh, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be in... Are you going to be in clinical? Are you going to be a researcher? Are you going to do industrial organizational? And I'm like, none of it. And they're like, oh, you're going to be an artist? So what do you do with it? You know, there's a two different, like, oh, this is a sort of category of career where you have a path and you choose it. With an artist, it's like, you're kind of that, making up what's as the you go. Point? Yeah. Or, yeah, or you're making it up as you go. Or, oh, I have an idea of what this artist is, but that's not what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. so. I'm really, I'm learning so much, one, about you guys, two, about myself, and three, about how people operate in the world and seeing each other is based on really our insecurities and how to make them go away or suppress them. So again, who are we paying for our therapy sessions? I'm just wondering. I know, for real. this one, look, we bared our soul. <laughs> Tell us what your soul looks like. <laughs> well, I just, I, I wanted to make another point or admission, whatever you want to call it. A confession. <laughs> this is a conf- this copyright is a strike. Confession. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, oh. Um, yeah. I, you were saying that you need recognition professionally, but you don't necessarily personally feel that you need it. I've come to realize lately that I do really want recognition. My husband asked me a long time ago, like, what's your ultimate driving force, like behind your like career ambitions? Not necessarily money for me, it's recognition, Yes, but I'm so afraid of getting it or not getting it because you'll be all the time. True. Right. That I shy away from any opportunity to get recognition. I find myself 
increasingly becoming like this because that means I'm accomplishing something. Right. I hate it. I know. It's like you're aware of this thing that you do or are or have to work through. And then you're just like, <laughs> great. I, I, yeah. That, that's the reason I'm like self-disappointing. Hey, hey, Elise, great job on the social media because girl, I see you. I'm, I see. She just rolled her see, eyes. Oh my God. She just rolled her eyes. <gasps> it's so true. So why do I feel silly? Because, you know, when I get that recognition. feeling good about yourself with, is either selfish it's a lie and you'd rather mistrust people than feel confident in yourself because that means you're putting and butting up against your mm. self-talk. Mm-hmm. Like that is hard. Interesting. Okay. Now you can pay me <laughs> for the therapy session. Yeah. <coughs> I didn't go down the clinical path. <laughs> Lord. But here you are. But here I am on a podcast <laughs> being a pseudo expert. <laughs> I learned once. One Lord. time in my One life. time in my life. For very much money. <laughs> so technically you are an expert. Shut up. I'm an undergrad so? expert. That's not an expert. What do they say? It's like 10,000 hours. That is where makeup comes in. Okay. <laughs> technically, if I put 10,000 hours into my mathematics courses, I failed continually. Am I an expert? Right. No. <laughs> that's, that's true. I tried so hard in math. And that's the other thing. And where I would put my all just to pass... And I would barely pass. But that's when I realized, like, there's other things that play in your life that put hindrances on your on your abilities. And then mm-hmm. we don't see them as hindrances. We see them as, why didn't we do it despite right. imposter, imposter, imposter. Well, I think that's why adulthood is so difficult and exhausting sometimes because... I wouldn't know I don't get older. <laughs> well, when you're a kid <laughs> or when you're younger and you're a teen, you're kind of just trying to get through something. And it doesn't dawn on you all of the personal implications of that thing until you're an adult and you're looking back, you're like, wow, that was really fucked up. Yeah. And you also hear, well, when I get older, I will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my question is, do you feel like you've improved in some sections of one identifying posture syndrome when it's striking you or, you know, you're acting in that way or do you feel like it's shifted for you through the years? You've been pretty consistent. So it's kind of like three questions. Figure one out. <laughs> um, I do. I do feel that it has improved, but only very recently. Um, and I'm not talking like leaps and bounds strides. You know, I'm just saying she couldn't because that would make her an expert. Oh god, no! But like being conscious of it is is it's the first step. Mm-hmm. But like literally, it, it just helps you. Almost it helps you be gracious with yourself. And ooh, <laughs> that hurts. Because I'm just, it, it's not that I'm mean to myself, but it's also just, again, like I said, I just, it kind of calms that voice where it's like, something's wrong with yeah, you. Yeah, but, yeah, but. Right. Yeah, but. Um, and then this kind of gives me a tangible thing to hold on to of like, that's not necessarily a true thought or a true feeling. Um, it quiets a lot of voices, which is always helpful, right? Like, what was your other question? Has it Have helped? you seen it change over time? Like what you would say is like the biggest category you identify with? I would say that I have seen it change over time. Um, I was not so much of a perfectionist in my last position, my last job. I'm, you know, I don't know. It's like, and even in my motherhood journey, God, that sounds so You did great. Um, I definitely started it with like that perfectionist 
mentality. And so that transition from like pregnancy into now you're actually a, a, like the mothering now has to happen was a blow to me personally, because there's no way to prepare for that. There just isn't. You can read every freaking book known to man um, until you're doing it. You have no idea. And so I do see a lot of different interplays when I think about my adult life. Um, even, and even comparing myself to my, my younger self. Um, yeah, I would say the expert and the soloist are much more prevalent nowadays. So that's kind of the voice I'm trying to yeah, bring down to a lower volume. I think it's good to hold yourself to a standard. It's good to know how you like to present your work or present yourself or be as a parent and to someone in a relationship. But and it creates humility as well, which absolutely. is a wonderful thing to have. But where does that come to not giving yourself the credit you deserve or the opposite of becoming arrogant? Right. Where do you start putting yourself down or not taking up the space you need to or deserve to? Mm -hmm. Um, It's very uncomfortable for me to take up space. Very, very uncomfortable. Ooh, that hits. I'm going to sit with that. All of a sudden, I want to answer these (laughs) questions because I need a moment. Um, Sure. Mine's. I know I had a lot of thoughts while you were talking. Um, I think in many ways, my imposter syndrome, when it comes to relationships where it's where I feel it the strongest, I think being able to identify this is your emotion and this is why you're feeling it has empowered me a lot more than when I feel it to almost like trust my gut more in a situation. Cause a lot of times it's like, <gasps> like I was just telling Elise, like there is like this mom friend like my older son has like this best friend his mom and I are starting to know each other but like the idea of can I text her can I say this I don't really know and kind of going with your gut like if I say it and she doesn't like it, it's no big deal or you can reach out to that friend you haven't talked to or you can say this to like a family member or you are like a good mom to like your boys or your boys are different than other kids so I find myself better able to identify it and better able to like trust that my gut a little bit more But I find also on the flip side of that, um, oh, sorry, I want to finish that thought. There was another thing is I, as I've been able to identify and trust my gut more, I've also been able to identify um, how my imposter syndrome kind of hurts those around me. That's a good one. Because y'all are getting me today. Well, the, with the perfectionism and the superwoman, like, and this is true for all of them, I'm sure. Those are just the two I identify with there will come a moment of like crash and burn. Mm-hmm. And when I, when that, that day happens, cause for me, it'll be like every couple of months. And then I will just like lose my shit and like, can't even think straight and just be this total mess. It's my husband who has to like pick me up and figure out how to handle like everything after that. And it's not really fair for my boys to see that. And for my husband to have to handle that. And for the blow up that comes because I couldn't, I couldn't work with myself in mm-hmm. those moments that led me up to that. I was better able to kind of think about like the whole reason I feel imposter syndrome is because I feel like I'm not good enough for you, but because I feel like I'm not good enough for you, I am actually really not being like the good supportive person you really need me to be. But on the flip side then, as I feel like I can see my imposter syndrome starting to shift a little bit because as I'm trying to like work and focus and, and, fix like the mindset in those areas, I see it almost drifting into my professionalism more because like I just said, as you keep setting the bar higher and higher Mm -hmm. at work, they start expecting more, right? Well, you were able to do this. Right. And so now I see it almost switching where like, like just next year I was seeing like my caseload with students and expectations for next school year. And it was kind of like this, Oh shit, like I can't do this. And so I see that like 
shift and like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. Where like at work, it used to be like, oh, okay, I got this. So I find I'm experiencing right now that balancing act. Mm -hmm. It never really goes away. It just kind of shifts. And I'm trying to learn that lesson of it's okay. It's never going to be out of your life. But to just constantly be aware of where it is. It's management. Right. And to be like proactive instead of reactive in the moment. Because I think for me for so long, it was just like, I can cure this. I can get rid of it. But it's not. What was that like statistic you found earlier? Oh my gosh. I was reading an article on imposter syndrome and it was like a study in Tony Tony found that anywhere from eight to 92% of people (laughs) suffered with imposter syndrome. And I was like, that's about right. No, you heard me. I was like, like, the own study has imposter syndrome. It doesn't know what it wants, what it's going to get, what's your data, your sample size. Obviously you have gotten something messed up. Wow. (laughs) Sends link to actual studies so you can understand what the stats actually were saying. Oh my God. It was so funny. It's hilarious. It was so funny. Correlation does equal causation in this study because oh anything God. goes. Jeez. Am I right, psych nerds? No, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's a perfect example is bringing that study up. Yep. Wow. So I fall in that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, perfectionism I, I it's been a battle I've been fighting forever, obviously. Um, if you listen to anything for one minute that I've spoken into a microphone on the internet to live forever, I did just realize while you were speaking, Alyssa, that I did very much as a young adult, you know, post-college, maybe in undergrad until like I ended up suffering a bit with my disability coming into play that I did have that sort of superwoman with the, with the, um, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? It's talking about disability. I have brain fog right now. Competition? No. Comparing? Yes, but I want to say instead of that word, this word. With a mm-hmm. caveat. Um, I do very much identify with the sort of superwoman phase with the caveat of switching competition for comparison. Um, because of being a makeup artist, you have to compare your work to other people in order to get hired and know what's going on and knowing how to do it. But then that manifested into... My body is failing me. I can no longer do what they are doing or what I used to do. Mm-hmm. And talk about imposter syndrome because you're the same person and it's very sudden decline in my case. So that was a sense of imposter syndrome that in some ways didn't ever remove itself. But I've acknowledged that it exists and I'm much healthier about it now. Much healthier about it. Um, so that's been cool to say that there's been some growth there, but when it comes to perfectionism, that's the same expert. <laughs> like I really going into grad school knew that is the thing I'm going to be facing head on more than anything else I'm learning. I'm going to be treating this expert sickness that I've been struggling with. Mm-hmm. And I chose to do that. And I'm like, God damn it self. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare you? Um, so I feel like I've been very consistent over time with those two being the mm-hmm. leading the charge. But it, it sometimes, I mean, I don't know. I'm hesitant to compare my journey to your journey because what you're doing is very intense. No, but it. like sometimes you have to do something at the cost of yourself for yourself. That's very you well said. You know what I mean? Very like, well said. It is painful. It hurts. It is 
kind of shitty sometimes, most days. Mm-hmm. But there's somewhere in your soul or whatever that you feel satisfaction, truth, rightness. And this change that's won't all happen what we want. unless. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. I will not be my best self or I, do we ever reach that? But you know what I'm saying? We attain, we try to attain it. Mm-hmm. And we all instinctively feel what that path feels like and looks like. And you know when you're not on it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things I don't think I'll ever say on mic. But, I mean, these guys know a lot of what I've gone through as an adult. And, and just knowing that the fact I did something for myself to challenge only myself instead of doing something for other people at sacrifice of myself mm-hmm. was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So finally doing this sort of developmental growth is terrifying and exciting and it's holding myself accountable as you Mm -hmm. were mentioning earlier Alyssa like and Elise actually we all talked about it we're all very similar in different ways Mm -hmm. how about that yeah that's what feels right to me right now being able to identify and being willing to I don't want to say fight Mm. but almost like put up the fight with your internal self your battle but I mean, we've also mentioned this next thing in multiple episodes. You need to find a community around you that supports what you're doing, too. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like the biggest thing against imposter syndrome is that we are we all feel alone. Why is this yeah. woman printing off the, or like, stating these five different types of imposter syndrome in 1982? Mm-hmm. I never heard of imposter syndrome until we were like, let's start Maybe a podcast. Or, oh, oh. Sorry, you were 10 years ago. I was more recent. And I was like, oh, I grew up knowing all terminology at all times. But going through the podcast journey, like we talked about in our one year episode, how Mm -hmm. much we've had to grow and learn and accept and view ourselves. Like, but that's because of community. Mm -hmm. Right. So and just making sure if you are ready to start looking at that battle or identifying things in your life or looking at imposter syndrome, you, you can't do it alone. So find support somewhere. So we have that support built into our podcast. <laughs> but Ooh, what a champion. You're so good. Or at least we're trying to. I want I want you to explain it though, because this was a great oh, a good really luck. great I'm I don't know enough to start <laughs> explaining anything. Just it's a, really, a really great desire for the podcast. Um I we're talking about pivot point, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So pivot point is a something Oscar I'm accepted speech to do <laughs> and it's probably gonna fail. But if you guys think it's just kidding, pivot point is sort of a new concept that we want to start incorporating into this podcast where it's um, listener submitted stories of times in your life where you've improved times in your life where you've noticed a change in your own behavior for the good or recognizing the bad and then reversing it. Um, Mm -hmm. So something that really in a true sense made you turn around and, and start change or acknowledge good change and it could be something super small like I realized I wasn't drinking enough water and decided to just Mm -hmm. that day Mm -hmm. then I'm gonna drink water or it could be something big like when I mentioned I decided to go to grad school in order to tackle my expert issues Mm -hmm. head on um, and start credentializing myself in a way to self-validate and that was important to me and that's a big pivot point but also I should probably drink more water I should start doing that so we could use your stories, um, big or small, medium, midsize, medium or large, same, grande, super size, venti, venti. <laughs> your venti issues, um, Trenta, God forbid, um, we're going to get copyright strike because Starbucks can hear us. 
Um, please send in your stories mm-hmm. um, either through DM on our Instagram at charlatanspod or at our Gmail address, which is charlatanspod at gmail.com. We also have our personal Instagrams, and I'm, I'm totally fine with you guys messaging us on there too because we have more than 31 people listening. I know. Let's talk about that since this is the next episode to go up. Yeah. Oh, Elise had yeah, mentioned before. I, I, I 100% read the stats wrong. <laughs> Thank you, Anchor, uh, who hosts our yeah, podcast. Yeah, let's blame it on that. I know. <laughs> A faulty craftsman blames their tools. We... <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we I, I accidentally... Um, read the stat for unique listeners for our most recent episode instead of our So we're like, more popular than we thought we were. <laughs> we, have a, we have a higher number of of you of regular listeners. So, so we what's, see you what's all. What's the around number? It's around 65. Holy shit. So that's about yeah, it's so about double. It's double and thank you for being one of the 31, but also the <laughs> 60 something. We see all potentially 97 of you. Ooh. Oh, that's some quick math there. We're going to I didn't follow because I failed multiple times. Me as too. Math. I barely passed high school math. So pivot point. That's the other thing we're talking about. So all 31 of you can join in on pivot point mm-hmm. and just send us an email about things that you're changing in your life that are good, bad, silly. We'd love to hear it um, to incorporate that community that mm-hmm. Alyssa's talking about. That's so fruitful to have in your own life, even when it's just on an Instagram page or content and with you know, our podcast. And we just want to say thank you to, um, the imposters club, because that what sparked this whole conversation. So thank you to you and to Dr. Valerie Young for creating these, um, different variations of imposter syndrome to give us this subject today. Mm -hmm. And actually more importantly, what are we smelling today, Alyssa? We are smelling a candle from Target, three ninety nine on sale, Fourth of July weekend. Nice. You're listening to this after Fourth of July weekend, and I'm now oh. officially thirty years old. Um, it is sea salt and bergamot. Ooh, yes. she memorized it so she didn't have to mm-hmm. read it. See, look at her granny eyes, nose. Pivot point. No. <laughs> <laughs> I overcame. Small damn it. Small wins are just as important. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. We will see you in the next episode. The Charlatans podcast is recorded and edited at Cellar Studio 39. Special thanks to Michael Lehman for creating our music and Max Young for original artwork.